So Exodus 19, verses 1 to 19. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you will speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Please turn with me now to Hebrews. Hebrews 10, which you'll find on page 850. So Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. Let me add my welcome. My name is Paul. We're joined, you've joined us week two of a sermon series. Look at the church. Uh, it's late. So why don't I pray and ask that God would help us to concentrate as we hear his word. Uh, Lord, we want to thank you that we've had chance to sing your praises and be encouraged by hearing about uh, the scriptures. We thank you, Father, for uh, the word that was just read. We thank you that you do promise to transform us and refine us and teach us and train us as your word goes out. And so I pray for a powerful work of your word and spirit tonight in our midst. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, friends, over the next 24 hours or so, uh, around the world, millions of people will gather together. They're called Christians. Uh, that's what Christians do. Christians gather. We meet together. Some will meet uh, in open air because they have no place to meet. Some will meet in rented theatres. Some will meet in school halls. Some will meet in old buildings with pews like this. Some will meet in multi-million dollar complexes. Uh, but Christians will gather together. Because that's what we do as Christians. We, we gather together. It, you talk to someone on the street and they say, oh, what do Christians do? They say, oh, they go to church. That's the norm. Because God commands us to gather. We just had it read. Do not give up gathering. Do not give up meeting together. That's what God asks us to do. No, commands us to do. I find it really strange that uh, our culture thinks it's the norm for Christians to meet together. But Christians increasingly are thinking that they can decide whether they feel like meeting or not. Christians say, oh, I don't think I'll gather tonight because I've had a, a busy week and I've got the shirts to iron for the week to come. I don't think I'll bother to, to meet together this week because I've got the family lunch to go to and I've got to hang, hang out with my nieces and nephews, so I'll just miss church this week. I don't feel like gathering because I'm not in a good place at the moment, so I'll just stay at home. It's what I call churchless Christianity. Churchless Christianity. And I think it's becoming increasingly trendy and reaching almost epidemic proportions. Let me introduce you to Churchless Charlie. Apologies to anyone called Charles here tonight. It's not aimed at you. Uh, Charles left church three years ago. Oh, he still goes to church occasionally, uh, maybe once every three months. He knows his name is still on the church database, so that's okay. But talk to Charlie and he'll say, oh, I, love I love God, but I don't like church. I love God, I love Jesus, but I don't like religion. And talk to Charlie and he'll say, uh, look, for me, faith is a, a personal thing. I read my Bible, I, I download sermons off the internet. Uh, and occasionally I meet up with Christian friends. You know, sometimes we go to the pub and sometimes we talk about God and sometimes we even pray together. That for me is church. And talk to Charlie and he'll say, uh, actually, my Christian life is actually enriched. 
It's just stripped bare. Church stripped bare. It's just me and God. It's so liberating. I don't like institutions. I don't like organized religion. I don't like church. It's just me and God. I think of a couple who left this church and now do church at home. Just them and the Bible. Because they were disappointed or disillusioned by superficial relationships. I think of another man who does church on the golf course on Sunday morning. He meets with two other Christian men. They play golf together and they talk about God between holes. And that to them is church. It's churchless Christianity. And here's my question. Why would somebody who loves Jesus choose not to gather? Why would somebody who claims to have a living relationship with Jesus opt out of gathering together as church? In this excellent book, Why We Love the Church, in praise of institutions and organized religion. It's a fantastic book. Uh, The authors there uh, pick up 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and they talk about how in 1 Corinthians 3, the church is described as a body with Jesus the head, and church is described as the house with Jesus as a foundation. And they ask this question, a good question. They say, is a head still a head without a body? And is a basement still a basement without a house on top? But increasingly, Christians want, want the head without the body. And they want the basement without the house on top. They want Jesus, but they don't want the church that goes with it. And that's what's called churchless Christianity. And I think it's because we have lost sight of all the joys of meeting together. We've forgotten how good it is just to gather as church. I'm told when you're married, especially with kids, uh, you long for a date night. You long for a night where it's just you and your spouse, and you can sit, and you can talk, and you can listen, and you can spend time together, and you crave just that time together, uninterrupted time, and you guard it jealously. And we've got to have that same attitude towards meeting together, guarding it jealously, craving it, longing for it. But we're not going to get that unless you understand all the joys of meeting together. Let me give you two tonight. First one is this. We gather to encounter God. The reason we meet together is to encounter God or meet with the living God. That's what the author to the Hebrews wrote in verse 22. But I read in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the presence of God, By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us encounter, draw near, uh, draw close to, enter into the presence of, let us meet with God. Now, Now, yes, of course you do that individually. Of course, if you put your trust in Jesus and you're sheltered under the blood of Calvary, of course you are drawing near to God any time, any place, anywhere. You can walk straight into the presence of God because of Jesus. But the expectation of the scriptures is that you'll want to do that together. Because the language of Hebrews is all plural. Brothers, since we have confidence, let us draw near to God. When you read the whole of scripture, it's all about the plural body language. It's not about the individual you and God. 
because there's something unique and something precious about drawing near to God collectively as a body, as a family, and as a temple, as people bought by Jesus, united in Jesus with a common father and a common family and a common goal. See, that's an experience that you cannot get by sitting at home reading your Bible or by podcasting a sermon or by watching TV church. Before we look at Hebrews 10, just flick over to Hebrews 12 just so you understand what is, is happening right here, right now. Hebrews 12 verse 18 says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. That's picking up the Exodus 19 reading. That is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken. We haven't come to Mount Sinai. We haven't come with fear and trembling. No, verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion. To the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful church, in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn. That's what's happening here. We're not coming to a mountain. We are coming into the presence of God, joining in with the angels in glory, singing his praises, worshipping God together. That is church. And we encounter God in a different way when we get together than you do just you and God alone. Donald Whitney says this, God will manifest his presence in congregational worship in ways you can never know, even in the most glorious secret worship. And that's because you're not only a temple of God as an individual, but Christians collectively are God's temple. God manifests his presence in different ways to the living stones of the temple, that's us, when we are gathered than he does to them when they're apart. And I think we've lost that in our church today. Uh, when you thought about coming to church tonight, what did you think? Be honest with me. Did you stop and think, I'm going to meet with God? We're going to encounter God tonight. We're going to do business with God tonight. We're walking into the presence of God tonight. Or do you just think, oh, I wonder what songs we're singing, and I wonder who's going to be here, and I wonder how long he'll preach for tonight. Something special happens when Christians gather. We encounter the living God. Let's do some work in Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10 is built around a, a, a structure. The structure is, since we have something, let's do something. Since we possess something, let's use it. Now, what do we have? Tell me, what do we have? Verse 19. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place... That is, into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. What do we have? We have the blood of Jesus shed for us. We have a man who went to Calvary for us. We have a man who accomplished, uh, verse 20, a, a new and living way. Uh, not a curtain, not a high priest temple curtain, but he gave his body, verse 20, verse 20. His body was ripped apart for us. His blood was shed for us so that we don't have to have sacrifices and rituals and procedures since we have Jesus' death, verse 20. And since verse 21, we have a high priest over the house of God. Now, who knows the Bibles? What was the role of the high priest in the temple? The priest was the one who mediated for you. The priest was the one who offered up petitions for you. The priest was the one who proclaim forgiveness upon you. 
But we have, verse 21, a great priest, the all-competent priest who is over the house of God. He's always in God's presence. He, he's always speaking on our behalf. He's continually proclaiming forgiveness. And since you have those two things, have you got it? You've got the blood of Jesus at the cross. And since you have Jesus today, right here, right now, interceding for us, we have those things. And what do we do? We encounter God. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw close to God. And we can do that with confidence. Verse 19, we, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Uh, verse 22, we, we draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Now, I find that extraordinary. You and I and we collectively can enter the most holy place. No fear, no trembling, no doubts, no what-ifs. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can know that you can enter into the presence of God. I don't know whether you've ever been to a theatre or a concert where at the end of the concert there's 500, 1,000 people trying to get down one staircase and you're at the top and you spot this door and the door says emergency exit and there's that sort of bar across the door and you're thinking, I know behind that door there's some steps and there's a quick way out. And everything within you wants to go and push that bar but no one else is. And so you walk up to the bar and like, there's that sort of fear. They're like, oh, if I push this, is it all the alarm systems going to go off and am I going to cause chaos here? And there's that fear and trembling and, and trepidation. And that's the old covenant, friends. That fear and trembling and trepidation. Is this the right way? Can I do this? But because of Jesus, there's no fear. It's the confidence that you can enter into God's presence. And yes, we are unworthy sinners. And yes, we're outsiders. And yes, because of our sin, we deserve his wrath. But we see the blood of Jesus. And so we enter into the presence of God. And you enter with sincerity. Verse 22. You draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let me ask you, how did you know that the Levitical priest was sincere as he entered the most holy place? How would you know that he was sincere? He would wash, he'd put on clothes, he'd sacrificed animals, he'd sprinkled blood. You knew he was sincere because he prepared to meet his God. How do I know you're sincere about dwelling close to God? I don't. I don't know what's happening in your heart. I can see the outside. But God knows whether your heart is sincere, that you long to meet him, you you. You're craving to encounter him because of Jesus. And when you do that, you approach him uh, with gratitude. Because he says in verse 22 that, that you approach him in full assurance of faith, an ongoing tense here, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, that constant, continual being cleansed. Because if you're like me, there's so much sin to be dealt with. But I don't suppress my guilty conscience. I look at Jesus. And yes, I'm horrified by my sin, but I look at Jesus. And I say, thank you. Your, your grace is new every day and your mercies are fresh every day. And that's why you can encounter God and we together can do that. Now, have you got it? We can enter boldly into the presence of God, not because of your worth, not because of your works, but because of your high priest and your Lord and your Savior. 
So let me walk you through Sunday afternoon. It's um, five o'clock. What are you thinking? Time to do a few more emails. Another hour on the beach and I can still make it to church. What am I going to wear tonight? Am I going to go tonight? Are you thinking, in an hour and a half I get to meet with God? With my friends, with my family. Together we meet with God. Uh, You park the car when you found a a space somewhere in Kiribati and you're walking up the hill and what's going through your mind? I get to meet with God with my family tonight. Or, hmm, wonder who's here tonight. Who do I sit next to tonight? And the music starts and you stand outside and you're chatting and you're thinking, oh, shall I go in or not? And then you walk in and you see the song list and you're thinking, I hate that song. <laughs> it's so repetitive. Why are we singing that? Well, are you thinking as we sing together, as we sing scripture, as we sing truth, we're actually drawing near to God and encountering God? I find it extraordinary, you know, that you can hear the word preached and, and, and gifted people have written amazing songs to help us respond to the word and people just stand here. I don't care how you praise God. You can raise your hands, you can stand with your hands by your side, but at least sing because you're meeting with God. And then I stand up to preach. What's going through your mind as the word is opened? That's the high point of the service when the word is read. When the word of God is read, that's the high point of the service because God says you encounter God in his word. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed. The very words of God is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we will be equipped for every good work. But when I stand to preach, what are you thinking? Is that the clock? How long tonight? Tick the boxes. Did he get it right tonight? Was I moved? Was I entertained? Or are you sitting there thinking, Lord, I'm longing to meet you in your word tonight. Lord, address us, speak to us as a body through your word tonight. Because preaching is not just imparting information. Preaching is God speaking. The Spirit of God taking the word of God and speaking into your hearts. Not filling your minds with facts, but drawing you close to your God. And that to me is liberating. My job is to do the hard work in the text, work hard at communicating. My job is not to perform. My job is not to entertain. Your job is to listen attentively and to plead with God to speak to you. So do you ask God each week, Lord, we're meeting together to meet with you. I think we've lost that vertical dimension to our worship. I love meeting I love hearing God speak to us. And I love drawing close to him. But the, the horizontal dimension is this. We, we meet to encounter God and to encourage each other. Easy to remember, encountering God, encouraging each other. Look what the author to the Hebrew says. Verse 24. Let us consider, literally uh, think carefully about it. Let us ponder deliberately 
What are we pondering? We are thinking how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. See, according to verse 25, some were in the habit of not meeting. Some have got into the bad habit of stopping meeting together. Now, why was that? God doesn't tell us. God does not tell us why they stopped meeting. And I'm thankful for that. It could have been that they were hurt and disappointed with church. It could be they were let down. It could be that no one talked to them. It could be that their life got so busy. It could be that they felt distant from God. We don't know. It doesn't matter. The fact is that they've stopped meeting together, and God says that's a very bad thing. Why is it a bad thing? Because, verse 25, there's a day approaching. We're living in this world waiting for a day called Judgment Day when Jesus will return. And we're living with this hope, according to verse 23, as a hope we profess. But we've got to hold unswervingly to that hope. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to live in this world with our hope, with our eyes fixed on a day that we we don't know when it's going to happen. It's hard work being a Christian, and we need each other. I need you, you need me. For support and encouragement and help and teaching and training and care. And that's why God says, let's not give up meeting together. The word in verse 25 for encourage one another. It's a beautiful word. It's the... It's the arm around the shoulder word. Walking alongside, just doing life together. Giving and receiving encouragement. Remind each other of truth. Sitting under the word together, praying together. There's nothing quite like it. Martin Luther says this. I'm always encouraged when someone who I respect and admire so much says things like this. He says, at home, there's little warmth or vigor in my spiritual life. But at church, it's like the fire is rekindled in my heart. At home, there's little warmth or vigor in my spiritual life. But at church, it's like the fire is rekindled in my heart. That's the joys of meeting together. We get to encourage each other. We need each other. We've got to keep meeting in big gatherings on Sundays, in connect groups, in triplets, in informal meetings. We need a mutual encouragement to stop drifting and stop swerving from the hope. Now let me say with real humility and as gentle as I can, I cannot encourage you if you don't come and we don't meet. You can't encourage me if we stop meeting. And you can't encourage each other if you're sporadic. We, God has given us each other for mutual encouragement. And that can't happen if we stop meeting. It's not just encouraging. Verse 24 talks about how we may spur one another on. Literally, the word is stir one another up, uh, provoke or exasperate one another. And they're words that are used in a bad sense or negative sense. But God is saying, look for ways and find ways to exasperate each other to love and good deeds, to to stimulate each other. When you spot that person, you say, you know, I love the fact that you're good at welcoming. I want to encourage you to do that more. Or, you know, I'm really concerned about you. I'm really concerned about you because I know you're doing it tough and I want to get alongside you and I want to spur you on just to love God more and trust him more. 
I love the fact that you're good at talking to the older people. Can I spur you on? Can I exasperate you to do that more and more and more? Put those good deeds into practice. You got it. We get to share life together. As we meet, we get to encourage one another. It's not about you. It's about each other. And I wonder whether you think that. That this gathering, this Sunday meeting is vital to your spiritual life. And this Sunday gathering is vital for my spiritual life. And we get to encourage each other. We encounter God, we encourage each other. And I think that we sometimes fail to appreciate how good we've got it. We get to do that every week. I find it strange that we would choose not to. And I find it very strange that there are some Christians who opt out of church. It's really ominous. It's dangerous. It's just arrogance, thinking they could do it alone. And it's actually disobedience. Because the word says, do not give up meeting together. Let me leave you two quick application points. If you're coming to encounter God, if you're coming to encourage each other, number one, prepare. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your minds to meet with God. I'm assuming that if you've got an important meeting to go to, you prepare. You think about who you're going to meet with, what you're going to wear, what am I going to say? But you're coming to meet with your king. If I, I'd love to meet the queen. If, if I knew I was going to meet her, I would think about what I was going to wear, what I was going to say. And every single Sunday, we have an audience with the king. Do the hard work in preparation. It starts midweek, friends. If you're not encountering God in his word throughout the week, if you're not spending time with your king throughout the week, it's going to be hard to rock up here with your heart and the mind in the right place to meet him. What about that, that hour block before church? How are you going to use that to prepare to meet with your God? Maybe clear some space. Maybe stop rushing around. Maybe just take two minutes to pray. Maybe read Psalm 19. You know, the, the Lord the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The joy of the Lord is... is, is Sorry, the priests of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. And the word of God is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey. Meditate on that and say, Lord, I'm coming to meet with you tonight. Speak to me, Lord. I want to draw near to you with my brothers and sisters. Prepare your hearts and minds. And the second P is participate. Get involved. How can you encourage each other if you don't talk to anybody and you don't stay, and there's no relationships, and you just come and you go. It starts with being on time. I do find it bizarre that people rock up to church 15, 20 minutes, half an hour late. And they don't think anything about it. It's like, people are meeting with God. I want to meet with them. How can I encourage them if I'm not here? And think, how can I get involved tonight? Come thinking, who can I encourage tonight? Who can I spur on tonight? 
Who can I say a word or, of encouragement to? Who can I look out for? Stop thinking me and start thinking others. Why do we find it hard to participate? I think distance is one thing. We live too far away. And if distance is stopping you really getting involved and participating, either move closer or with love. We love having you here, but it might be easier to go to a local church where you can really be involved in other people's lives. I think our calendars are stuffed full. I keep meeting people to say, oh, I can't stay for supper tonight or dinner tonight because I've got a family dinner to go to. I've got shirts to iron for the week. Or Ask your family to have dinner on a Saturday night or a Friday night or a Thursday or a Wednesday or a Tuesday or a Monday, but please not Sunday. That's your one time to meet with your family, your church family, and encourage each other. But I think the biggest reason we don't participate is selfishness. We still think that gathering is all about me. And so I'll choose when I want to participate and not. I love meeting together. I love church. Because I get to encounter my God with my brothers and sisters and my family. And I get to encourage other people. I don't have to. I get to do it. People say to me, don't you get bored of church? You know, you're here on Saturday night, you're here on Sunday at 8 o'clock, Sunday at 9.45, Sunday at 5, Sunday at 6.45. I get tired, yes. I don't get bored. Because I get to meet with God and I get to meet with his, with his people and encourage each other. See, my background in the UK was that when I became a Christian at 20, you went to church in the morning, you had lunch with people from church, you went for a walk with people from church, and you went back to church in the evening, and you just did church the whole day. And it was wonderful. Because it was the one day where I just got to enjoy God's people and have my heart and my mind just refreshed for the week, meeting with God and meeting with people. It's a treasure called church. Let me leave you with these words from Jim Packer. He says, Never let your Sundays become mere routine. Approach it expectantly. Build your week around a Sunday, not the other way around. Because Sunday is the market day for your soul. Pray that be true for us. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the blood of your Son. Thank you that he opened a way for us to draw near to you with confidence. And thank you that you've given us each other as brothers and sisters. Thank you that we get to draw near to you together. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being in each other's lives, for words of encouragement, for the timely rebuke, for the acts of kindness. Thank you for each other. Please help us not to give up meeting together. I ask that for Jesus' sake.